Welcome to Biblical Brainstorm, the Seth and Chandler podcast. I am one half of Biblical Brainstorm, Seth. This is my man, Chandler. What's up, Chandler? Hey, nothing much. How's it going? Doing pretty good, you know, living life, doing the school, you know. <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, we're almost done already. Well, yeah, that's, that's, only like six, yeah, that's only like six weeks till summer, someone said, which I didn't realize it was that close, like probably five weeks now, but yeah. Yeah, well, I'm trying to finish both my classes, hopefully in the next week and a half to two weeks, and nice. then have a month early off of school. That way I have a longer summer. So if nice. I can pull that off. That'll be nice. Uh, even though I'm taking summer classes, so I probably need the the break. Yeah, but, yeah, that'd be yeah. good to have that little extra break for sure. Yeah, and uh, obviously we weren't here last week because last week was my brother's wedding in Florida, uh, so that was a lot of fun. Congrats to my brother. Steven. Oh yeah, Steve's a good dude. Yeah, yeah, and um, blessings on their their marriage and their new uh, you know new endeavors. Uh, but now we're back in Texas. Uh, now we're back on here on the stream to cover our. Yes. <laughs> no, it's great here. I, I, I like it. It's, I've been here almost two years, and uh, we'll see. Let's see if I stay after I graduate. Yeah, that time's really flown by since you've been in there, been over there in Texas. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, today uh, we're talking about worship in the New Testament, which yes. here, I'll pull up our banner here. Worship. In the New Testament. So obviously, not last week, but the week before, we uh, started our series on uh, Christian worship. Uh, so this is like, we're going through kind of chronologically here, and we'll end up going topically as well. But um, I know last, uh, not last week's, but the previous episode uh, on the Old Testament worship, I thought that was a very interesting um, kind of study into things. For those of you that listened, hopefully um, you got something something good out of that uh, or learn something new. Mm-hmm. Um, I know yeah, definitely like with you study. being, you being the local uh, Hebrew scholar, <laughs> as I, I know I can, I can look it up and see definitions, but uh, I know you're the one that's actually studying to read it. So that's always a plus. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. That was some good stuff, especially the word studies. Yeah. I'm definitely more familiar with, with Hebrew as I'm learning it. Uh, Greek, I know almost nothing about. So Same. today's episode is going to be a little more out of our wheelhouse, but we got some good sources we want to mm-hmm. dig into. Um, but obviously, for those who don't know, Old Testament was written in Hebrew and um, also a little bit of Aramaic, but that's you know beside the point. Uh, and then the New Testament was written in Greek, right? Uh, there was actually an Old Testament, which we'll get into in a second, which was translated into Greek called the Septuagint or LXX, right? I believe we talked about that in uh, one of our episodes last season, didn't we? Or oh, maybe, we just, yeah. maybe we just briefly touched on it. But I do have a Septuagint translation, which I always forget that I have. But mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, um, you know often a forgotten or neglected resource. The Septuagint, not mm-hmm. that it's um, a magic Bible, but just it's another translation that you know it's fun to study. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the Vulgate. That one's Latin, um, and then you progress into the English translations that we have now. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, so obviously Septuagint, you know, Greek, you can cover the whole Bible in Greek, but, you know, like Chandler said, the original language, Old Testament, Hebrew, a little bit of Aramaic, New Testament, Greek, um, but, you know, it's still, yeah, you can and read it reason, many ways. The reason why it's important, because we're thinking, well, was, if the original was written in Hebrew, why would we want to read the Old Testament in Greek? And it's because of the New Testament. So the New Testament writers were using the mm. Old Testament, uh, mostly in Greek, especially Paul, he was reading the Greek Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament. And, uh, and so how the Old Testament 
you can see how they how they translate words, right? Mm -hmm. And we'll look at one, for example, for worship today. How do they go from the Hebrew word in the Old Testament in a passage to the Greek word in the Old Testament in that passage? And then how is that referenced in the New Testament? So now you kind of see this continuity between um, the Old Testament in Greek mm -hmm. and then the New Testament in Greek. How is it kind of employing the, the Old Testament there? And that's something I tend to forget uh, with Bible study from time to time is... Um... Like I said, reading the Septuagint as another translation is not only just a fun thing to do for Bible study just to see the difference, but like you pointed out, the New Testament, you know, the apostles and Paul and, you know, that was the Bible they had was the Septuagint. That's what most people in that time read. So a lot of the word translations and stuff, you know, you get some extra dimensions to scripture when you take into account, you know, studying the Septuagint. And so it's very interesting. The different things that you can get out of translations. That's why translations can be really deep, but uh, very fun. Yeah. And uh, obviously it's like, okay, you might ask why it's because of Alexander the Greek, this whole mm -hmm. you know, Greekification of the Middle East, the ancient Near East. Um, so obviously Greek became more of the, the language of the day, as we would say. Um, and you know, the, the trade, the language of trade. And so now we're transitioning from, of course, in this time, this area, the use of Hebrew Aramaic into now uh, Greek. And so we get into the New Testament now, we have a Greek New Testament. And uh, yeah, let's dive into some of those words. But before that, uh, I wanted to make you guys aware of some uh, opportunities to, to support us. Uh, in the future, hopefully we build this podcast to, um, you know, reach a broader audience. Uh, if we reach a thousand subscribers uh, eventually, which, you know, who knows when that is, but um, that would be awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, if, we, if we do that, then we can actually bring on forms of monetization and we can uh, do something called a super chat, whereas, you know, people can donate live on the channel. Um, so that would be cool. But until then, uh, if you wanted to support the podcast in any way, just let us know and we'll be able to, you know, get in touch with you, whether you, you, know, you can do Venmo or, or something. However, send us to do it some way. But right now we don't have any formal way of, uh, of actually getting money for the podcast. And the thing is too, uh, 100% of anything given to the podcast goes to the podcast. So we have jobs where this isn't a job for us. It probably, oh, I mean, I'm not planning for it to ever be. Um, it's just a ministry that we right. do um, to, you know, for the benefit of people. So anything that someone gives to the podcast goes to building the podcast, whether it's for advertising to reach more broad audience, equipment, mm -hmm. um, the yearly uh, program, you know, um, cost for this for streamer and everything so it's really just maybe merchandise in the future who knows uh, obviously this is way too early to talk about this um, but i just wanted to make you guys aware that these uh things are in the horizon mm -hmm. or on the horizon rather um for for the podcast so yeah, like I said, yeah if you guys if, if you guys like merch and you guys want to see some biblical brainstorm merch you know let us know um it may be you know like you said, it's probably be down the road when we start doing that. But if you guys are interested, you know, we would at least like to know if you would uh, like to purchase it if we made it. <laughs> so yeah. uh, we can get some, get an idea. But, but yeah, like you said, anything that you guys are willing to uh, donate, you know, like equipment, um, paying for our software to stream and record, you know, it's all for the podcast. Doesn't go into our pockets. Uh, we don't need it <laughs> just for ministry. You know, it's not our, not our money. Yeah. So, but we appreciate you guys listening and supporting. Um, mm -hmm. I know we had so many people that were more than generous to uh, donate last year when we got all of everything going. Um, so I know you guys are 
uh, awesome. And we appreciate y'all listening and, you know, staying with us. It's been a year already. I can't even, man. We actually just reached our first year anniversary for the podcast. Obviously, we took a big break last fall and a little bit of spring, but now we're back at it, hopefully, with uh, weekly or every other week to uh, to kickstart things off again for season two. Um, Yeah. So, St. Patrick's Day was kind of the official one year. Um, even mm-hmm. though it was it was an off day for us, so we didn't stream. But um, but yeah, St. Patrick's Day was our official one year. It's hard to believe it's been a year, but uh, it's cool that yeah. we still we've been able to keep it going. Yeah, first year uh, or first podcast, our first episode was on obviously an introductory thing, but also we covered St. Patrick and St. Patrick's Day a little bit. So it's kind of kind of cool that we're you know reached that year mark and everything. Yeah. Um, now that we're you know going into to new topics. So and now we're in a series of worship. So uh, let's uh, let's dive right in. Seth, do you have any any thoughts of you know going from last week to this week? Maybe recapping a little bit from what we talked about last week. There was actually something that um, I don't I can't remember if I mentioned it or not because I didn't have it in my notes. But I thought of it this week and came across it again um, just in my reading. Um, but the idea of cosmic geography when it comes to the Old Testament world and old testament worship and the in a nutshell cosmic geography for those of you that may not be familiar is pretty much saying that land certain land belongs to certain deities and so israel was god's chosen people god's chosen land therefore israel is holy ground holy land you know that's where you worship god that's where god lives and as long as you're on that land you're good to go if you cross into other lands, then you're in Baal's territory, you're in um, Murdoch's uh, or Marduk's territory, uh, you're in all these other gods' uh, territories. And that's what the people of the time believed. And of course, we know God's omnipresent, omnipotent, and you know he's everywhere, and he's mm-hmm. ultimately in control. But just from a, a an ancient view, perspective, yeah. yeah, for perspective of the people at the time, you know, that was their line of thinking. And I think there is some um, truth to that. I think there is some merit to it. I mean, it's not 100% limited to Israel, um, not anymore, um, if it was. But I think there is definitely still an aspect, um, maybe even a small theology of cosmic geography, where you give God space, whether that's you know dedicating a church, dedicating your home, um, and just you know claiming an area, or just even yourself as you know, being God's space. And I know we'll get into that uh, probably a little bit later with, uh, you know, our bodies being temples and that kind of thing um, mm-hmm. as it begins to worship. But, you know, cosmic geography was a big thing back in Old Testament. And, you know, David talked about uh, wanting to be back in Israel to worship God and his land. Uh, there was the soldier that came to see, uh, I believe it was Elisha. I, can't, I always get him back. I remember Elisha, yeah. Was it Naaman? And yeah, Naaman came to see Elisha or, or Elijah. I think it was Elijah. pretty sure it was Elisha. I always get it backwards, but um, it's one of the two. And uh, he asked for healing. He wanted to be healed of leprosy and was told to go dip in the Jordan seven times. He did. He was healed. And he requested to, uh, well, he wanted to give Elisha gifts for the healing, but Elisha refused. And he said, well, if I can't give you this. Can I take dirt with me? <laughs> and so he takes dirt from Israel back with him to um uh, his homeland, which was not in Israel. I can't remember where specifically he said it was, but, um, uh, but he wanted that land with him. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it was it might have been something like that. I think it might have been. But he wanted the the reason why he took the dirt, which is odd if you don't understand the concept of cosmic geography, but he wanted the dirt because he wanted, you know, God's land, like he wanted to have, you know, be on God's the dirt, yeah. yeah. It's kind of like how soldiers when they're overseas, you know, there's stories of they wanted American soil to walk over before they went out on a mission or something. Um, and just have a little bit of home with them, even though it's just dirt, you know, it's American dirt, you know, Texas dirt. <laughs> and uh, so same kind of thing. It's like, you know, he had to, you know, name in, in that story. He had um, an old, an old man that he took care of and this old man worshiped another idol. So he mm -hmm. may have used that dirt to kneel on and pray on rather than being on the idol's dirt. You may have put it in his house. He may have just had it as a memorial, but so yeah, that was another thing that was important in the Old Testament was being in Israel, being on God's property, uh, so to speak. Um, mm -hmm. And in, in the New Testament, we'll see that start to shift and change. But mm -hmm. that was something that uh, I just wanted to add on to last week. That I can't I don't think I I may have mentioned it briefly, but I don't think we went too. Yeah, we didn't go into too much detail, but we did definitely mention that at the end in the name and story. But yeah. you guys will see how um, if you look at the Bible, this idea of sacred space. Right. Mm -hmm. It's going to uh, spill over into the New Testament as well and even into the church. And we'll go through the early church, this idea of sacred space of holy places. Um, but there is a little bit of a shift. And there's also, you know, this idea of temple, temple inauguration. Uh, I, I can't even begin to maybe we have to do a whole episode of, in the future on temple inauguration, temple worship. The whole idea of, of temple. Mm -hmm. is a big idea that we barely grasped it today uh, that the ancients really, really held on to. Uh, there's so much associated with the idea of temple, but mm -hmm. it, there is a re this revolutionary thing where it's like, uh, it's not just going to the temple, but now we are the temple uh, of the Holy Spirit. But uh, regardless, you still see those, those concepts um, spilling mm -hmm. over into the New Testament. Uh, and just to re, um, I guess, reiterate that our definition, right? Um, we, we brought this up in the first episode and worship itself just as a definition to us uh is the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity show reverence and adoration for a deity honor with religious rites right as the verb form mm -hmm. so that um that's what we say is worship right and but worship it takes it's very vague right there's a lot yeah. of different uh, words um that comprise that whole big umbrella of, of worship and we explored that a little bit last week with the hebrew words that it, to my surprise, there's a lot of words that would fall under the category of what we would say is worship. Yeah. Um, and that they, we they, always, we always associate it with like church worship, but it really is a much broader term and it even gives more meaning even to our, you know, Christian definition of worship. Absolutely. And um, I mean, even just how much they made distinctions between words, um, between sacrifice and singing and song and praise and rejoicing and i mean all of these hebrew words and mm -hmm. if you guys you know what you can go back to the previous episode when we talk about that but now that we're in the new testament how does that change does it change uh now that we have greek greek has their own words and terms so i wanted to start with um the a couple of of verses here so the first one being let's pull it up here Matthew 6, verse 9, right? So there's, um, you know, we see, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So what is hallowed, right? What is hallowed be your name, right? That's kind of like an old English word. So this word here is from the Greek word, and I'm going to butcher it because I'm not a, a Greek guy. I'm, I'm a Hebrew <laughs> guy. Um, Hagia Theto. Hagia Theto, right? 
So hagesteto, uh, it means to or sanctified or be sanctified, holy, right, or hallowed, right. So this is um, think of like uh, you know, be sanctified. Let let your name be sanctified. Let your name be holy. Uh, hallowed be your name. Uh, and interesting enough, if, if you guys catch some of the little details, the Hagia, that, uh, this root word here, the Hagia, uh, if you notice, the Hagia Sophia. And we mentioned that uh, two episodes ago with the uh, Greek, um, well, the, the Byzantine um, church, the biggest structure in the world for the longest time, the Hagia Sophia. Right, uh, let me see if I, if I have even the, the picture there, if I can pull that up from... Maybe now that was... You said, where was that one built again? Um, maybe I don't have it. But uh, that, I think I showed that picture one time. So the in Constantinople, or now in okay. Istanbul, the uh, the big church, it was called the Hagia Sophia. The, okay. You know, that's that word, Hagia, the holy, holy part. Holy, um, you know, it's, again, that idea of sacred space is the holy space. I think yeah. Sophia was another term for, uh, like, spirit, like the Holy Spirit. So, oh, yeah. I think like the place sense. of the Holy Spirit. Um, thus, thus the name Hagia Sophia. Um, but that's where, you know, this is one expression of worship, right? Mm. Where you see in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus himself saying, you know, hallowed be your name, Lord. Yeah. Um, so yeah, hallowed's definitely Hagia one of those Sophia. old English words that we, uh, <laughs> it's kind of, we don't really, it's, it's more, it's one of, one of them translation things, but yeah, it's, it just sounds fancy. <laughs> hallowed. It sounds fancy to say hallowed, you know, <laughs> in the King James, right? Hallowed be your name. Um, and so then we go from that to another word here, which in John four twenty four, right? Uh, we see God is spirit, and those who worship here's the keyword, right? Worship Him must worship in spirit and truth, mm. right? And so this word is, and again, I'm going to butcher all of the the Greek terms here. Proski nantes, proski nantes, right? which means uh, to worship or to down or to go down on the knees to, right. Mm -hmm. To bow down to, 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 uh, you know, it's like when, so, when everybody at a church service, you know, get on your knees and pray that that's kind of the yeah. idea yeah, where you're like literally you know, bowing down to some degree on your knees, giving, you know, paying homage to worshiping, yeah. uh, giving reverence to is another, another um, definition of this term. And so this is what um, Jesus is saying here in this term, you know, this, when he says worship him in spirit and truth, this is like the reverence, the bowing down, the getting on your knees, the the worship yeah. of, of God. And that kind of worship, you know, we are to worship in spirit and in truth. And worshiping so, and, you know, the whole worship in spirit and truth is, you know, it seems like a very, to me, a very intimate form of worship because it's not just, um, he's saying just in general worship, but worship in spirit, which is really the essence of who we are, our spirit, you know, worshiping and connecting with God's spirit. So it's a very intimate, very, you know, very down to our very core, who we are worshiping God, mm -hmm. the very core of who God is. And, you know, throwing the truth with that. I mean, worship and truth, it's, you know, it's just the very basic fundamentals down stripped to the core, who we are, who God is. And, you know, that's all that God wants really. Yeah. People, and, you know, Seem to that. just want to do one or the other, like a worship in spirit without truth or truth without spirit. But yeah, it's both. Jesus, is like it's both in. Yes, but I'm going to say with this this word here, this term, right? This this proski nantes, right? Um, the Septuagint uses this word, right? So, mm -hmm. um, 
we see like, you know, in the Old Testament, obviously it was translated into Greek. And we went over some of these terms, the Hebrew term, which we actually used this verse last episode. So if you remember this verse from mm-hmm. last episode, then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and the boy will, uh, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Right. So that, that mm-hmm. word that's translated worship, it's the shakha, right? The, the shakha in Hebrew word that we covered, which means to bow down, pay homage to or worship. The Hebrew, you know, those translated, uh, those who were translating the Hebrew Bible uh, to, from Hebrew to Greek, uh, translated the shakha word, which means to bow down, you know, pay homage to worship, okay. to this proskinantes word in Greek, which is, again, to worship, to go down on the knees, to give reverence to. Mm-hmm. So you can see some of that kind of shift, you know, when you're using language, um, you know, how, how did they use language? Which words did they translate to? Because yeah. no word is always one for one, right? Even in our languages today, if you're if you're translating something from English to Spanish or English to German or something yeah. like that, right? Yeah, that's very um, difficult. <laughs> especially when you get into other languages that aren't of the same family group, like, you especially, know, Chinese. Especially when the language is dead. <laughs> yeah, you know, English to Chinese or English to uh, Arabic, you know, the, the further away uh, there's familiarity. It's hard to just have one word for one word, yeah. right, uh, translation. So it's kind of interesting to see how the, um, you know, the translators going from the Hebrew to the Greek, which words did they choose in Greek to yeah. kind of supplement the Hebrew? But you can see this they is one still of- kept those same themes, like you said, with the bowing down, paying homage. And, you know, there's certain things that were, you know, obviously important and this kind of worship to keep. And it's a very, you know, very intimate form of worship with the bowing down, especially. This reverence, this idea of getting your knees, for, right? Yeah. And so um, so that's cool. You know, you see this word from the Shekha to the Proskenantis, right, word. And that's uh, and we find that in a couple other places, but that's just one example of translating this word for worship that's seen in, in John four twenty four, which those who worship him, who bow down, who get on their knees to you know give reverence to uh, worship God in spirit and truth. Yeah. Um, another another word here, um, and so now we're going into to Romans, and Paul really gives us, as you'll see, um, the uh, like not the liturgy, but really the practicality of. Well, New Testament worship. So the mm-hmm. early church uses Romans a lot to see how they should conduct a service. What does worship mean? What does it look like in our context, right, uh, in the early church? So Paul is a is a big um, contributor to the idea of, of worship, right, in New Testament worship. Yeah. And so um, let's see. And right here, so we see in Romans uh, 12.1, we have two, two uh, terms here. So I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living mm. sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So this I, this word here of sacrifice and this mm-hmm. word here of worship. So it's not the same words that were that was used in John twenty four. So All right. in in the first uh, the, you know for sacrifice the first word it's uh, again I'm going to butcher the Greek Thysian. <laughs> All right, so Thysian is. <laughs> The word for sacrifice, or it means to sacrifice or give an offering, right? This offering, this sacrifice. Yeah. So, which makes sense with the, even the context here, why Paul would use this word, because by the verse, you've got to present your bodies as like an offering, as a mm-hmm. sacrifice. Because in the Old Testament, you know, sacrifices were a form of worship. 
like mm-hmm. we covered, you know, the last episode, you know, sac- offering animal sacrifices was a huge part of the worship back in the time. Mm-hmm. So the living sacrifice part isn't meant to be um, like a grim thing. It's just a form of worship that was just part of the worship. It's more yeah. symbolic than literal. And now you see the shift too. You see the shift from like this animal sacrifice. And now that we're in the New Testament, Jesus was our ultimate sacrifice. Uh, which, you know, was our sin offering. But, like, what about, like, other types of sacrifices, like just, you know, a praise or offering gifts, right? right? And so Paul here is saying, well, we don't need to sacrifice animals even for gifts. You know, we're presenting our own bodies as a right. living sacrifice, an offering, uh, holy and acceptable to God, right? That's our definitely, offering. Definitely a big shift. And notice, I mean, it, that's which is our spiritual worship, not our physical worship, because physical worship was, again, the sacrificial system. So mm-hmm. if, if you were to say this is our, our, well, our bodies as a living sacrifice, our physical worship, well, it's like you're not killing yourself. <laughs> for I mean, you're not cutting yourself, right? That's no, no, no. bad. Yeah, yeah. Paul is saying you're offering yourself spiritual as a spiritual worship, right? Right. So this idea and Which this goes back word, to uh, John, you know, where we just read, we're worshiping in spirit and truth. Here's your spiritual mm-hmm. worship. Yeah. And notice here, Paul uses a different word, which is interesting. It's the word okay. doxan, doxan, right? Which is to give glory to or approval or honor or splendor or renown to. Okay. Right? So now it's like you, you see this, you know, this um, this language used, right? Where John is using this word for worship, which is like to give, bow down, give, you know, on your knees to um, worship. Now Paul is using sacrifice like an offering and then spiritual worship, which is pneuma, you know, pneuma spirit, right? This mm-hmm. pneuma um, doxin, right? This is this approval, this honor, this glory. I'm giving glory to God. I'm giving this, this splendor, right? My body is a sacrifice, spiritual, the spiritual um, approval, the spiritual renown, the spiritual like gift to God, right? This glory to him. I'm glorifying yeah. God in my body. And this, Paul uses the same um, that word too, you know, to glorify God in your bodies in another verse, which I didn't include here, but that just, you know, brought it to mind where Paul really um, gives that idea of glorifying God in your body as mm-hmm. you live, right? So that that's Romans uh, twelve one. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's just um, you know, when it talks about giving your body a living sacrifice, I mean, if you take it at face value, it sounds weird, but like he was saying, it's more your spiritual, it's symbolic for your spiritual body, giving your spirit, giving your, you know, your life essentially living a particular way. And, you know, that's really the biggest thing that God, even in the Old Testament, David talked about it, like, uh, I believe it was Psalm 51, if animal sacrifices isn't really what you want, because if that's what you wanted, I'd give it to you. <laughs> you want, you know, you know, broken contrite heart, you know, you want the person God wants us like he wants, you know, our spirit, that relational aspect and the animal sacrifices, you know, were needed at the time. Now at this point, uh, Jesus has come and died. So animal sacrifices aren't needed anymore because God's taking care of that. So, you know, mm-hmm. God just wants us and, you know, our spiritual worship through, you know, that relationship with him living, you know, holy lives, you know, like God calls us to live and, it's definitely a big shift in worship from where we came from in the Old Testament, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I wanted to remind you know anybody in the audience, you can comment. Uh, feel free to comment. Give your thoughts. At the end of every episode, the last five to ten minutes, we try to interact with the comments as much as possible. You know, if questions 
on the topic that we cover today. Um, we usually interact those, with those at the end, but feel free to comment now uh, if you want, and uh, you know, just give some Absolutely. thoughts, your thoughts as well as we go through, you know, every episode's content. Um, so yeah, next verse uh, we have up here is First uh, Corinthians ten thirty one. So so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, and this is just good advice in, in general, do all to the glory of God. So this idea mm -hmm. of glorification again. Now we're saying the word glory again. Paul uses a different <laughs> another you know different word for this this again. And so the word he uses for this um, you know glorification right um, is also it's doxen. So this okay. is like the one I was talking about, the, the glorification and everything. Mm. Um, now, the thing about Paul is he was a very educated man, so he knew a lot of words. <laughs> so he, mm. he knew how to communicate what he was wanting to communicate, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Doc's in here for glorifying, right? I wanted to say um, this one in Romans uh, actually makes it a sacrifice, right? That is the, the Lycian, right, the offering. But I was going to okay. say the, the Latrian is this word here. So another different word, latrine, which is literally to a service or rendered, even service rendered for hire or like divine worship, which mm. is pretty interesting. So it's like your, this is like your service to God. And so a lot of people, when they say worship, oh, worship is your lifestyle, worship is service. This is the verse they get that a lot from. Yeah. So this is like the, the um, you know, you're offering your body, you're glorifying God in your body and you're offering this service to God. That's your spiritual, your pneuma, spiritual worship, right? Nice. Now we have, Docs in here, which is literally glorifying God, right? And then we have here, right? And be thankful. So, that, you know, thankful, right? That we're mm -hmm. thankful right there. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So that sounds like a lot of like musical terms here. And all of these words... Are different that Paul uses. Uh, so there's distinctions in our English language, there's distinctions in the Greek here as well. And so uh, going on here, right? So let's see. So you're, I can't, again, I pronounce the, pronounce, the <laughs> pronunciation of the, I'm not a Greek guy. Eucharistos. Eucharistos means thankful or grateful, being grateful for, right? And so I'm sure that's also. This is also related to the Eucharist, right? With as far as communion. I'm pretty sure. Like I said, I'm no Greek guy, but um, <laughs> it sounds oddly similar. The Eucharist, Eucharistos, right? This giving thanks to God, remembrance of God, this, this yeah. thankfulness, um, this gratefulness. So, and then uh, this word here, right? For singing psalms, you would you you guessed it. The word is psalmois. <laughs> psalmois, right? Which nice. guess what means. A song. <laughs> Simple enough. <laughs> a song of praise or the book of Psalms itself in the Old Testament. And you know, like with the singing and the Psalms and everything, that was, you know, that's not new to the New Testament. Like that's not just specifically a New Testament thing. Because there was singing and Psalms and things mm -hmm. like that, obviously, in the Old Testament. But it's starting, it seems to start to become more of a... Um, more of a prominent form of worship now in the New Testament. Now that this yeah, a little section. less liturgical, a little yeah. more like this expression, right? Because it was uh, especially getting into the early church with Acts and you know this going forward from Acts. But um, I remember my professor uh, in a class that I had last semester. It was going over the prison epistles, 
and it was talking about you know this kind of thing singing psalms singing songs um and worship uh, in the new testament context and some of it was you know it wasn't really like songs that were written per se like there were those but it was also like kind of a spontaneous thing where it was just kind of in the moment you were singing what you were feeling and what you were thankful for and kind of like i mean we do similar stuff now but um you know, is that kind of a, I don't know, freestyle is the right word, but, um, you know, just kind of singing what you're thankful for in the moment, you know, going back to the Eucharistos, thankful, grateful, um, mm-hmm. you know, praising God, giving, you know, you know honor and I'm trying to remember the word that you used, but uh, Dachshund, that was one, uh, mm-hmm. honor, approval, glorification, glorification, you know, so it's mm-hmm. kind of a, uh, you know, the singing thing's not new to the New Testament, but it's becoming more prominent. And so I find that interesting how that's, you know, even carried on to now, of course. But yeah, it's definitely uh, a big deal. That's for sure. But David was singing for sure. He was singing Psalms. Thus, I mean, even this word and then and hymns in this verse and hymns. Um, he uses here the word um, Odeus or Odias which is song, which means guess what a hymn or a song or an ode. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and with Numa, which is, you know, spiritual song. So this mm-hmm. is you know, this idea of hymns and spiritual uh, hymns uh, when it's accompanied by that word there. And then of course uh, this idea of singing songs, right. Uh, that is the adontes, the word, the Greek word adontes singing, sing praise, a chant, you know, it makes me think of like even in the middle ages, like the Gregorian chant, right? That yeah. falls into this category of of singing of Adontis, right? That Paul uses right. here as kind of a precedent for the church. Yeah. Um, you know, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, all three of these categories, right? With thankfulness again yeah. in your heart, um, in your hearts to God. So there's this glorification upward. There's this you know encouragement. Uh, outward towards people to the church so there is this corporate aspect as well as well as individual Um, so it's pretty interesting how we're already seeing this diversity of terms even in the greek so there's a bunch of old testament words there's a bunch of new testament words that are describing what we would put under the category umbrella of worship and so when we say you know just worship vaguely it's like well what exactly yeah Uh, and, and some people you know they'll say oh that's not what worship was you know in the old testament I've even heard it said where people are like, oh, singing, you know, on church on a Sunday morning, that's not worship. What worship is, is this. And it's like, well, technically, yes, technically no. Because if you're talking about, you know, the word, like we uh, brought up previously with latrain, latrain is service. It is service to render to God, right? It is divine worship. That's like a lifestyle, right? Or how John is saying, you know, worship in spirit and in truth. This is this bowing down language, right? And the word um, proskenantis, right? So that that's true, but singing and worshiping and hymns and all, like, you know, on a Sunday morning, giving yeah. songs, giving praise, glorifying God, that's also under the umbrella. That's just a different Greek word, but the New Testament also tells us to do these things. The New Testament tells us to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs or chants, or, you know, that, that word there, you know. Because um, music is definitely a... Uh, a powerful medium and it's definitely a powerful thing and mm-hmm. you know, blending it or maybe not blending it, but using it as a form of worship, you know, like they said to do, but also just, um, 
you know, if, whether it's in church, pers- in your personal life, just at home or whatever, just worshiping with music is definitely a very powerful form of worship. Not the only form, but it's definitely an important one. Yeah. It's definitely up there. <laughs> so what should you do? All the above. Should yeah. you, uh, you know, Samois, Odeus, Adantis, Doxin, Eucharistos, you know, mm-hmm. Latrian, Lycian, Prosky, Nantis, Hagiostero, like all of these, <laughs> you know, we, we should be sanctified, oh, sanctified be the name of God. We should be going down our knees, giving reverence to, we should be paying homage to sacrificing, giving our bodies as an offering. We should mm-hmm. be giving service, right? We should be giving glory to or approval or honor to. We should be thankful and grateful. We should be singing songs of praise. We should be yeah. doing a hymn or an ode. Uh, we should do a singing or a chant, right? And also this verse here is Colossians 3.15 through, uh, through 16 for those curious. Um, but there's also even more words. We're not even done yet. <laughs> so if we go to Revelation 19.7, uh, so it says, Let us rejoice and exult, give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. So this is like a final you know, eschatological state where mm-hmm. we are like, Everything's being fully realized here, you know, where, you know, the end times, right? And uh, this word Cairo, right, to rejoice, be glad, to hail, right? That is that is that word there that we translate rejoice. Um, that's, you know, that word Cairo in the Greek. And then this next one that we translate as exult, that's the Greek word agaleo. So agaleo, full, full, of, full of joy, <laughs> rejoicing greatly, this exultation, that's that's that word, right? Um, so again, there's a variety of terms here. So do all the above, right? <laughs> give jo- you know, give exultation to God, rejoice. We've got um, lots and- of <laughs> yes. And then um, I know, I know for me as uh, someone who's grown up in church and grown up on worship teams, you know, my of course I'm partial to musical worship, but mm-hmm. obviously as you can see, that's not the only form. Um, you know, you can worship God and you know, just your daily life and things mm-hmm. you say, things you do, reading your Bible, praying, uh, just talking to God, spending time with God, you know, singing, playing music. You know, it's, there's a lot of options out there, but you can see a common theme as to what the point is and what your mm-hmm. the whole point of what you're trying to do is. And, you know, we've got plenty of words to, <laughs> as you can see, that give you all the, give you that, those ideas of, you know, what we're going for. Yeah. You know, we should rejoice, we should exalt, sing. All the above. And then yeah. uh, finally here, if we, we're going to Hebrews. So, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You know, thank goodness, right? And oh, yeah. uh, and thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. So, you would think uh, we got another wor- new word here. <laughs> you would think, right? Right, um, right. So, so this idea of um, so reverence, right? That's the Greek word eulabeias, right? You sure. and I can't even I can't even pronounce it. These are some interesting words. I know. I this is why I'm learning Hebrew instead of Greek. Right. <laughs> uh, which me. this reverence idea? This is being to fear God, fear of God, piety, reverence, submission. Right. So mm-hmm. we should uh, let's offer to God acceptable worship with this piety, with this fear of God, with this reverent submission to God. 
right? So this is like a, you know, a reverence, like, okay, an awe of God, right? So that's that's the word for reverence. Now you think, oh, see, that's what fear of God is, right? This is this, like, awe, this reverence. But then he uses the word awe here, reverence and awe. And the word awe here is delos. Delos is literally timid, fearful, cowardly awe. (laughs) (laughs) So... So this is like, uh, you know, when people say, oh, you shouldn't uh, fear God. I'm like, yeah, you have to know. I mean, he says, I mean, even here in Hebrews, it's like, let's offer to God acceptable worship with this, you know, reverent submission to God. And this like almost cowardly timid, like all like, oh, my gosh, like God could, you know, crush me. It's almost almost like being a fan of a UFC fighter. I mean, he's, he might be a great guy. He may do a lot of charity. You know, he's a good person, good friend or whatever, but you also know that if you get on his bad side, he could do some damage. (laughs) So it's, you know, probably a bad analogy, but to kind of get the wheels turning a little bit. Yeah. uh, I mean, it's like Paul even said in another place, which we didn't include on here. It's like, walk out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's like, Oh, okay. Or Jesus saying, uh, don't fear the one who can kill the body, but the one who can kill the body and soul in hell. I mean, that's, yeah. that's you know, I know this podcast took a little dark turn pretty quick, but, <laughs> but I mean, this is part of worship, right? This is part of worship where we're giving service, we're giving glory, we're giving hymns. But there is also this offering acceptable worship of God with this reverent submission mm-hmm. and this, like, fear of God, yeah. right? This and when people, healthy, say obviously, only, when people say only God can judge me and that kind of thing, you know, that should be... You know, in this context, that should be a little scary, not liberating necessarily. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't mean do yeah. what you want. It means, you know, you better be careful. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, that, again, this isn't, I mean, there's extremes, right? There's the fire and brimstone extreme where it's just like, you know, yeah. people are just paranoid all the time. Uh, God is a loving God, and he yeah. desires that we be in right relationship with him. And, I mean, for our benefit too, right? I mean, this is, um, this is the life of, with Christ, right? It's, yeah. it's better <laughs> for a reason. Yeah, that's um, not, that's the fault you have to have that reverence all. <laughs> you have to have that reverent all as well. It's both and. It's not just, you know, Jesus yeah. is my best friend. Uh, we're cool. We're kicking it back, you know, but it's also this reverent submission, this fearful, timidly, cowardly yeah. all, the fear of God. So it's both and. That, that is included in worship, right? If you don't um, remember anything else about theology, remember the phrase, both and. <laughs> <laughs> I'm neither or it's a both and that's probably <laughs> the most applicable. Yeah, it's the pro what's one of the most used phrases in theology, but it makes sense. I mean, you know, it's it just it comes both up. And. It's not you don't have to force it, it just you know, it's it's not an either or it's both and <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so now this leads us into Romans. Oh, the good stuff. Yes, and uh, now I got my physical Bible for this because we got to bust out the, Ooh, the, that's the, the real thing, right, supposedly. <laughs> um, so I'm going to go to Romans 1 here. The Bible's got a lot of miles on it. And so, again, this goes back to this idea that Paul is really shaping a lot of the New Testament or the early church's view, uh, mm-hmm. laying out what worship is in the New Testament. Obviously, we see it elsewhere, like we saw with John and Jesus' statements and in Revelation and in Hebrews, whoever wrote Hebrews. <laughs> um <laughs> But this is, uh, you know, in Romans, it's clearly written by Paul. And so now he is uh, kind of laying out this idea of worship again in just in the very first chapter. In, uh, and Paul, chapter and Paul's, not, 
Paul's not making this stuff up. I mean, he was a Pharisee, and he was—he'll tell you—he was a Jew of the Jews, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He's a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Like he knows what he's talking about. So when he talks mm-hmm. about worship, he's talking about doctrine. He's not just making stuff up. Like he really knows what he's talking about. So that's why he's you know such an authority on just you know Christianity yeah. and the early church. And Under there's the a reason for all these spirit as well. <laughs> but he's definitely you know someone that you can trust, like a source that you can trust. I know there's a lot of controversy around Paul these days, but. Uh, you know, he's definitely a reliable source. <laughs> Which is funny because he's been dead for a while. So it's like, you know, there's these ebbs and flows of, oh, Paul's under controversy. It's like, well, right. man, he doesn't really care. <laughs> yeah. <you know. laughs> um, What's new? So he said, uh, you know, in verse uh, 18 through 25. So Paul says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteous uh, unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. So, again, this is like this natural theology thing here, which we've read before on this podcast and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse Uh, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. So some of these words again being utilized, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory in there, the the immortal God, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God has God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And here, keyword here, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. Who is blessed forever. Amen. So going here to verse 25, these words here are used for worship and for serving, again, is a new mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, word here, where this idea of reverence or worship to stand in awe of uh, is this word esebasthesen. Esebasthesen, <laughs> right? This, this word, this Greek word, which is worship reverence to stand in awe of. so when he says worship uh you know that people worshiped creation rather than the creator it's talking about they reverence they worship they stood in awe of these the creation these idols it's talking about idol worship as well um and these images resembling beast and man rather than the invisible creator god yeah that's so this, an interesting topic of study too the whole concept of worshiping the creation rather than the creator and it mm-hmm. Yeah, that's def- there's a, definitely a lot to unpack there, too. But, yeah, when you think about all that we've talked about with uh, what worship entails and then directing that towards something that's not God, you can see why, you know, God's, you know, jealous for us, for his creation. You can see why he'd be definitely be unhappy with that. Mm-hmm. And then the second word here for service, which is Latoya again, you know, we talked about that word that Paul used for service a way back. Um, I think here, let me see, it was one of the first ones. Um, yeah, for your spiritual worship, that spiritual service, aka service, it's translated service here. Or, um, let me see here again, verse 25. Yeah, served, it's worship and serve. So, that word serve, that's that Lateo uh word again, where it's like worship, service to God. So, not only did they have reverence for these idols and worship and stand in all of, but then they served 
idols or res images resembling beasts and man. And so that could almost be applicable today because even, not only is there still paganism and, and idol worship, uh, or, you know, in other parts of the world, and even in yeah. America to some degree, very small minority, but still, but even today, um, what do we, what do we stand in awe of? What do we worship? What do we serve? Right. That yeah. is that idea of service, this idea of being in awe of this idea of reverencing, uh, people do that with celebrities. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Worshiping, you know, you other, do that with images. yeah. Yeah. Worshiping other gods, worshiping idols is definitely, um, a lot different than it used to be, but it's a lot easier to fall into nowadays than people realize. Because like you said, worshiping celebrities, worshiping sports even, um, you know, something as simple as that can become an idol. Hobbies, um, mm -hmm. nature. You know, nature is great, but uh, nature is supposed to point back to God, not be God. And, mm -hmm. you know, if you're, especially from a Christian perspective, but even... Even if you're not, I mean, you go out into the woods and just enjoy the beauty of nature or, you know, go down to the bottom of the world to Ushuaia in uh, Argentina. And it's mm -hmm. like where that uh, place of Chandler's been. Uh, and you just see the, the raw nature and raw beauty of God's creation. Like, I don't know what you'd say. I, would you agree in saying that it's pretty moving? Especially down there. Uh, creation. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That place. Try was amazing. Yeah, so that's, and there's a difference yeah. between glorifying God or seeing God through nature, and then worshiping nature itself, which is like pantheism. Right. So, yeah. So we don't want to worship the nature, the creation, you know, but uh, you know, it should point back to God. And mm -hmm. you know, when it comes to um, like worshiping you know, idol worship now, when it comes to like what he had mentioned with, we have celebrities, we have sports, we have. You know, music even. Um, it's really easy to fall into that and not even realize it. So it's important to kind of keep an eye on, you know, how you treat or give reverence or give worship to certain things or people even. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a slippery, can be a slippery slope if you're not paying attention. Yeah, I agree. And uh, so now going into um, switching gears here a little bit. So now that we've covered some of the verses and the different words and terms that were used in the Greek for, for worship, um, I wanted to kind of give like more of a cultural bird's eye view of the idea of uh, New Testament worship. What did it actually look like? What, did, what was the ideas behind worship in the New Testament that kind of has this scriptural basis? And uh, so I have this article by N.T. Wright, which N.T. Wright, if you don't know him, he is a great New Testament scholar. Um, you know, Actually, England. Prison Epistles class that I had, our textbook was N.T. Wright. Yeah, very, was, uh, very well-known scholar. I can't remember the name of the book, but it was the uh, same dude, and it was it was really interesting. Yeah, he knows his stuff. He has one of the best defenses of the resurrection historically as well. Um, but I just, I'll read briefly just the conclusion to this article to, you know, for the sake of time. But it says, you know, the, the idea of spirit and uh, worship in the New Testament says, you know, this topic is enormous. The implications and inclusions are equally so. I've highlighted the way in which the early Christians understood their spirit-led worship in terms of temple theology, which we mentioned before, this idea of temple, right, this temple theology, which we, you know, we barely scratched the surface of in this episode. Uh, and to a lesser extent, Torah theology, in which the tabernacling presence of God was both the object of worship and the enabler of that worship. So you, again, you have this kind of shift where it's like there's 
the object of worship, which is God right here in the sacred space. But yet God is also the one enabling us through his Holy Spirit and now in mm. the New Testament to worship and glorify God. And Paul talks about a lot of about this, too. Uh, this has, of course, directed and constant uh, calories in terms of the call for holiness and the language of sacrifice in which that call was expressed. Um, so let me skip down here a little bit. This uh, wasn't a matter of bowing, uh, borrowing temple liturgies, which are in the case difficult to reconstruct, but nor was it simply that the early Christians were thinking of the biblical temple rather than the actual one they were new in Jerusalem. The earliest Christians were Jews. First century Jews had temple worship in their bloodstream, right? This was in their mindset. It's like yeah. they had the temple in Jerusalem, Pentecost, you know, this whole thing. They still had this mindset of the sacred space, this temple worship um, there. Um, and the first generation saw from very early on that in Jesus and the spirit, they had that towards which the temple had been an advanced signpost. Indeed, as we saw, the first Christians discovered this as a daily geographical and political reality. And from that root, there grew, quite naturally, it seems to me, the early liturgies, including sacramental liturgies, in which this was variously embodied. We have seen, as for the context uh, for this, the regular retelling of the Exodus story and the way in which the story of Jesus, uh, more fully of the Father's work in and through Jesus um, Christ, and then by the Spirit of Christ, was told in those terms of the intention of evoking that narrative. So that's a lot of words in a way of just saying simply, that there was story involved in worship. There was preaching involved. There's this this retelling of the story because you know otherwise, what do you what are you gonna worship? What do you know? How do you know who you're yeah. worshiping? So worship is in, is directly connected to the story of yeah. of Christ, the story of the Bible. I mean, we still have that in our churches today. We read the Bible, we preach on the Bible, and we have worship. So we have this worship and the story of worship. The spirit and truth again. We're seeing yeah. these concepts and themes being being enacted. This is a defining trait, right, within Christianity, where we have the worship, the reverence of God, and the story of God, so that we know what exactly we're worshiping and why. Right. Um, and so, important. and to finish here, uh, it says all this is to insist once more that we understood early Christian worship as eschatological, not that they thought the space-time world was coming to an end as others have argued, which is mostly a modern construct from the Enlightenment. Um, all of this, all of that is another story. Rather, the early Christians believed that they were already living in the time of fulfillment and transfer uh, transformation, which we can see through Pentecost, obviously with Jesus, uh, in which the great Exodus shaped story, which began with creation itself, and which took a fresh turn with Abraham, had reached its appointed goal, and now bearing fruit in a quite new way, Early Christian worship was thus characterized by the sense of newness, a new covenant, and new creation. And so by the sense of anticipating and worship something that would come completely true when that new creation was finished. To recognize this inaugural, inaugurated eschatology within the earliest text, maybe uh, to alert ourselves once again to, to this dimension and the later developing you know, church. If the spirit is the one who brings God's future forward into the present, worshiping in the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead means standing both at the overlap between heaven and earth and also at the place where the past, present, and future are mysteriously held together. That, I believe, is the best framework for understanding Christian worship. So you see this idea of first century Jews worshiping, right, in this temple theology, in this sense, the spirit of God. Uh, is both enabling the worship and the object of worship. 
And then we see how this fulfillment that Jesus brings to the whole Christian story, this is in the minds of believers. So the early church is viewing things as, oh, this is the new covenant. This is the new, this is the new creation. We are looking forward into this, um, this heavenly state, right? God has set us free. He's given us eternal life. And now when we worship now at the present, it's with this expectation that um, of being with God forever, that this is this yeah. new, this kingdom of God has arrived. So that that's this interesting dynamic within Christianity, which was based again in the scriptures and the, this theology, which now spills over into the church, the early church and now even today, where we gather in this already, but not yet. So right. it's like we're, we're, the kingdom of God has arrived, but yet we're still yet to be yeah. in heaven and in the new creation. So there's this um, thankfulness for what we've received, but this anticipation for what is to come. Right. And that is like just mind blowing where it's like before a lot of Old Testament worship, you could see a little bit, or is this, um, it's still yet to be fulfilled. You know, it's like, it's coming. There will come a day when this happens. And even yeah. in just the ancient years in general is this transactional type of worship, right? It's like, let me sacrifice to the gods so that I can, it can rain and I can have good crops, you know, <laughs> the next year. And there isn't this like fulfillment of anything now, which is like restoring our soul internally. Right. Yeah. But now in this Christian, in the new Testament, we're seeing this fulfillment of the old, and of God being here, right, have, you know, came through Jesus and now gave his spirit. And now when we worship God, now it's like with this idea of the kingdom of God has arrived and I have hope for the future. And he is the object of my worship. And yet he's also the one who enables me internally uh, to live a sacrificial life, to serve him and to worship him and glorify him. And so I think it's a beautiful picture of now yeah. we see where a lot of this is coming from in the New Testament that we're, it's scripturally based and we're seeing even some of those traditions even today spilling over into the church. Yeah. And um, I think some of that we need to go back to, but mm -hmm. at the end of the day, we also already see it. You know, we see this, this, the story of Christ. We, and yet we see the, that glorification and adoration as well in our services, this worship and truth, you know, the spirit and truth. It's nice, it's nice to know that we've at least still kept something that important intact and we debate about a lot of other things but we at least still have that you know mm -hmm. still <laughs> we've at least been able to keep that absolutely and um i wanted to also bring this up which you know i, I knew i would dig into this eventually the oxford history of christian worship i mean we're doing a worship series i have to I have to bring it out but uh two things that really stood out to me which the first chapter is uh, on the scriptural basis which we're in now because obviously this goes through the, all the history of christian worship but we're in the new testament so the scriptural basis for a lot of these things um is paul and obviously the other new testaments but he's a big part of framing what it looks like and i love how it says here in, in romans 15 which i didn't get to yet uh speaks in uh this priestly terms right of this evangelizing mission among the nations by God's grace, he is a minister, right, of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, serving as priest, the mm. gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So now you're seeing this transition, again, from this temple Jewish worship to now it's being spread to us, the Gentiles. Um, and so the Gentiles, thus the Gentiles may come to praise and glorify God along with his people of the Old Covenant. The offering, you know, which Paul says in verse 8 through 12, uh, the offering of the Gentiles sanctified by the Holy Spirit, verse 16, 
rejoins the first part of Romans 8 and the spirit of God dwelling in believers, resembling closely the figure of the temple, which the apostles uses, uh, which Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And then lastly, it says the inclusion of the nations hints at the geographical and cultural spread that will positively characterize Christian worship through the significance of geography and culture uh, will always be qualified to the transcendent, transcendent fact that the Father seeks those who will worship him in spirit and truth, which we just read in John 4. So you see this transition from this, which Paul, you already see this transition in the New Testament, but it took a while for it to spill over to the Jewish Christians, right? Where it's not just about worshiping at a sacred place like the temple, but now it's like I can worship God anywhere because now we're I have the temple. temple. We're the temple, right? So yeah. now wherever we are, and this was accelerated um, through the Roman conquest in 70 AD. Mm. That, that's yeah. the thing. Everybody <laughs> after Pentecost stayed in Jerusalem because they're like, well, this is where it's happening. This is the sacred space. This is where Pentecost was. This is where, yeah. and you know, everybody traveled from afar from their nations to stay in Jerusalem and stay at where the glory of the move of God was. But then uh, persecution came and the Romans came in and, you know, cracked their whip and boom, everybody, yeah. uh, a lot of people died in 70 AD and the Christians were forced to spread further throughout the known world. Yeah, And so now you see this accelerated expanse of Christianity after 70 AD because of persecution. So where people are going to their synagogues at home, they're going to their their nations, their native mm -hmm. nations, and spreading the gospel there, worshiping God and spreading truth there in that location. And realizing this idea that it's not just at the temple where God moved. Yeah. Now I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit, and I am to worship God wherever I'm at. Yeah. And it's, I mean, if we still had a temple that we had to go to, I mean, that would be rough, <laughs> but that would just make things so much more difficult, which isn't what God originally intended. I mean, if that was just a placeholder for now or for the time and, you know, obviously, you know, God knew what was about to happen with, you know, the, the Romans invading and dispersing mm -hmm. the Christians and knew that it was, you know, he, you know, he came at a reason for a reason at the time that he came and, you know, it's definitely a huge shift, very revolutionary, but that's ultimately what God wants. You know, we're the temple. It's not a building. You know, the building mm -hmm. was just a placeholder. And so, yeah. you know, knowing that, you know, God's, we don't need to go to a building to worship God or have God um, with us or be able to encounter him. Like, you know, he can, mm -hmm. he's here with, with, just with us. So mm -hmm. definitely a big deal. Definitely, like you said, yeah. it's very revolutionary. And it's one of those both and things again, because it's like we have the church, we have the gathering of believers, which Paul also says, don't forsake that. <laughs> you know, yeah, so the there church is isn't important, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. And so now it's like where it's not just the temple, right? Because it's this temple idea. Now it's like, well, we can have our own like church way where the presence of God can still meet. We can, and then myself, I'm the temple of spirit. I can commune with God, I can encounter God in my own nation. And so obviously persecution kind of forced this, but it was already, you know, God was already shifting the minds of believers already by saying, hey, Gentiles are included in this, not just Jews. And also your uh, body is the temple, not the actual physical temple in Jerusalem. So that, I mean, God is, 
is, you know, glorify God in your body, in your temple, not just going, gathering all in this place of Jerusalem. And, uh, you know, if that was the case, then the whole world would have moved there. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so being able to, to spread out and spread the gospel to their native lands, which after 70 AD drastically happened in the second and third centuries AD, where you see this explosion of Christianity, where some of that is this idea that the New Testament was giving on worship already, that you can worship God in your mm -hmm. own body, but also it was also forced by persecution <laughs> in yeah. 70 AD. Um, so that's interesting itself. And the last thing I have here from this book that I wanted to, to point out here is on page 16. Let me go here. Um, just a brief thing under the liturgy as language. It says, the case of Christian worship is perennially rendered special by the fundamental fact that God, who is both transcendent and self-communicating, is believed to speak and act through the rites that he has instituted and to receive the praise and the prayers that are addressed to him. So mm -hmm. these rites, what are these? This is communion and baptism, you know, the early, the the sacraments of the of the church, right? The or, or ordinances of the church, right? Um, there's a distinction there. You know, some people call them sacraments, some call it ordinances. Right. That's a you know topic for another time. <laughs> but um, but basically, this idea of this this Christian right in the first century, where you know God, we experience God through communion, we've experienced God through through baptism, through the church, um, and it's you see this early picture drawing from the New Testament into the early church of the scriptural basis for Christian worship, where this idea that God is both imminent and transcendent, which is just revolutionary. Like God is both out there, big, far away, like over everything sovereign. But at the same time, it's almost like, you know, a paradox. At the same time, he's also with us, like Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, he literally came in the flesh, Jesus in the flesh, walking among us. I mean, this is this like imminent closeness. And I think the reason why even Christian worship is so revolutionary at the time is because it's both God who is in us, enabling us. He's in us. He's with us. But he's also like out there, big, all, you know, sovereign. Um, cool. and, and that's the other shift, which we didn't mention, is this priesthood of all believers, where you have the Old Testament, where it's only the priests experiencing this fully. And, you know, select few people, right? The Holy of Holies, where when Jesus died, the, the veil was split in the temple. And now Paul is saying, hey, we're the temples of the Holy Spirit. It's not just to select few people once a year, etc. Now it's like all of us are being able to experience God within us. Yeah. Turn it like God, Holy Spirit filling us within us. We can experience God. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit now. And now we can commune with God both imminently and in this transcendent corporate raw all reverence right kids these days don't know how good they got it back in my day a priest had to go into the temple once a year <laughs> i wasn't around in those times yeah, <laughs> yeah it would be a much more difficult process and now you know it's so easy that you know all we got to do is mm -hmm. you know accept accept christ and pray and there it is <laughs> amen but even it's amazing just this picture that we already see where a Christian believers are. It also says here, believing that God is receiving the praise and that their prayers are being heard and that God is acting, right? That is a, another distinction there, too, because it's not just a reverent, you know, um, service just out of, you know, tradition. But it's yeah. like 
this idea of early Christian worship in the New Testament and spilling into the, over, the early churches, that there's this actual experience where they believe God is there um, and that their prayers are being heard and God is actually receiving the praise and the honor and the glory um, in their midst, right? right? And so that that's just, we see this kind of picture that uh, the shift from just the, the sacrificial system, this once a year with this priesthood, and this more uh, liturgy in the Old Testament. Um, and a lot of it in this temple mindset, this temple worship. And now we're seeing this spread towards like, okay, every believer, no matter where they are, you know, they're the temples of the Holy Spirit. You know, this fulfillment of prophecy, God is here. God is the new covenant, the new kingdom, uh, spirit and truth, worship God. And so it's this beautiful picture where we're seeing this kind of like completion from the Old and New Testament. And now it's going into the early church and how we do things today. And mm -hmm. next week, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how it, the early church, the apostolic tradition, what did worship look like in the early church, mm -hmm. post-New Testament, right? Post-70 AD, right? Yeah, that's definitely... Uh... It's interesting seeing just the progression of everything, how it goes from, you know, I mean, we have our, we know what worship is today, but going back and seeing the origins of it really mm -hmm. is, uh, I guess, puts things in, into perspective, if you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, worship is uh, definitely, it's always been a big part of my life, but being able to, you know, actually take the time to study it and go into it has definitely been, uh, you know, not just good for me, but hopefully good for you guys too that are listening. Um, mm -hmm. you know, it's, uh, it's important to know why we do what we do and not just take it at face value sometimes as far as, uh, habits and sacraments and liturgies and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And last thing I wanted to, to kind of leave us with your last verse is Acts 2, 42 through 47. This is just a little snapshot of what the church looked like in the new Testament times. Um, and it's like, what was their service? Like, what was their worship? Like, what was all mm -hmm. that? Right. And it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Again, there we got the story of Christ. Again, this, this idea of the story. Uh, apostles' teaching and the fellowship. So this is corporate. To the breaking of bread and prayers and the prayers. And awe, again, that word again for awe, right? Came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, dis distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together. So we have this, again, this temple thing. Uh, it's going to shift a little more past 70 AD where it's not just the temple, but it's the, you know, the local synagogue or the local church. Um, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes so that you already have this house worship. Yeah. And which makes sense because there's persecution. <laughs> <laughs> as well, which is going to spike. Yeah, and uh, breaking bread in the homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the number day by day those who were being saved. And so there's this, you know, corporate big worship here that you had at the temple, then you have this house worship. It's going to start to just be house worship as persecution starts to get stronger and as they spread uh, throughout, you know, uh, the world where you're going to have synagogue, but now it's going to turn into church because there's going to be more of the splitting between Judaism and Christianity. Right. And so now that you have Christian churches, 
they're going to start out as house churches, though, and we'll get into that next week more. But there's this, um, again, this breaking away from just this temple theology where it's like I have to be at this particular sacred space to where now it's like, hey, we're the temple, we're at meeting in our homes, and yet God is present with us. And so that's this interesting shift we see in the New Testament already with worship, where right now it's both and in Acts, but soon it's going to be just house <laughs> house churches and, indiv- you know, individual. Persecution so, is a way of doing that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, that's uh, th- hopefully that gives you guys a good idea of, of worship in the New Testament. Uh, now we went through the Old Testament, we went in the New Testament. Now we'll try to go through a little bit of history and maybe hit some topical stuff. Um, yeah. But yeah, Seth, any other thoughts before we dive into a few comments and then call it a night? Yeah, I think the, um, you know, it's definitely a profound shift like we've mentioned before you know you go from the old testament temple worship with the sacrifices then you move on to you know now we're the temple we're the body you know or as we're the body of christ but our bodies are temples and then you show how we practice that with you know there was the synagogue but then that started to not work so well and then it was house churches and then that just kind of progressed into yeah, we'll go over that more later, but how that's turned into our modern day churches. But it's even though that there we do have churches, it's not you know God's presence, the ability to worship, the ability to have that relationship and express thankfulness, gratitude, and honor to God. You know, it's not reserved for a building or a particular location like it was mm-hmm. believed to be in the old testament or like it had to be in the old testament. And it's you know, you know, when you really do think about it, it's really is a big deal that we just you know, we don't need any of that, and we can just be the temple ourselves. We are the temple to be able to have that relationship with God and worship Him like that. So it's such an easy thing that it's hard <laughs> sometimes to do. Yeah, but it's uh, yeah, worship's important, and it's not just there isn't just one way to worship. You know, music is the biggest one, but there's other ways to do it. And mm-hmm. you know, make as we saw yeah. with all the terms. Yeah. Well, there's a bunch of different words describing what what it is. You know? So we all, you know, uh, need to make sure that we, you know, remember that and take time to worship this week, especially, and you mm-hmm. know, not just I mean the rest of our lives, but you know, going forward, knowing what we now know, <laughs> make mm-hmm. sure you set that time aside at some point in the day to worship in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, interacting some of the, the comments here. Uh, this is, we live in an age of selfies, like Francis Chan says. We used to look at the waterfall, and now we want to take a selfie in front of the waterfall. So we are the focal point. Self worship is popular, and that is yeah. very true. Narcissism. I, I know <laughs> narcissism is big, and I know that even Paul. I forget. Maybe it wasn't. Was it Thessalonians or something? There, there was this idea that he said that it's like, you know, there's this worshiping of other gods, but like in the future, you know, this is going to be the self-worship, right? Yeah. Um, people, the lovers of self. Um, and I think even Timothy, he says that, you know, lovers of self rather than lovers of God. But uh, that's that's really where we're starting to see society now, where it's less about just worshiping other gods or nature, but it's literally this self-worship where yeah. it's all about us. Right, yeah. and it's like the love of many will go will grow cold, as it also mm-hmm. you know says in the New Testament, um, and we're seeing that unfortunately. It's, it's there, important to like take care of yourself and like you know be you know have 
you know, conf- mm-hmm. self-confidence, that kind of thing. But it's definitely taken an extreme term where it's like, I'm the greatest thing in the world and I should worship me. And I'm, mm-hmm. I don't need anybody else. I just need me. And you know, that kind of, it's really gone to a unhealthy extreme. Yeah. And, um, I mean, there's a there's a distinction there, right? Obviously, taking a selfie in front of a new experience isn't a bad thing in itself, but there yeah. is something where if there's this over, if there, you know, again, the extremes, right? If there's this over reliance on on self and this over glorification of self, and you're the focal point of everything, I think that gets in a in a dicey territory. But yeah, um, yeah so we'd love to hear your thoughts and knowledge on worship in the first century church. I think we covered that a little bit, but we can expound on that more. Having to deal with persecution, interesting study that we rarely think about. Um, I know next week we'll cover more of that in detail post 70 AD. What did it look like in the early church? Persecution, mm-hmm. how did that affect uh, that? Um, but yeah, did you have any any other thoughts on on that? I mean, obviously we'll cover more detail next time. Yeah. But I, know, I gotta know. say, the first century, the, the worship in the first century is definitely something that I'm gonna have to brush up on because I'm not as uh, knowledgeable on that era of Christianity. Um, so, I mean, off the top of my head, I can't really think of anything <laughs> at the moment, but like I said, I'm definitely going to have to you know, do, dig into that this week, and hopefully next week we can really give you guys a good uh, explanation on some of that stuff. Yeah, and I, I mean, a big part of it was house church worship. So, I mean, they didn't have the luxury like we did now of like having a big building and going to it on Sundays. It's like, well, the Romans were killing them <laughs> for their yeah. faith. So <laughs> what did this, what did first century worship look like with persecution? It looked like meeting in homes, singing hymns and songs and, and you know, again, service, this idea of, of devoting themselves to the apostles teaching and also this, um, this reverence to God prayers, right? This prayer, this glorification, this worship, and they did it through a variety of ways, but it was within smaller, communities that met in houses because of persecution in the first century. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's, you know, a big part of that. Um, and then another comment here, let me pull it up. Come on internet, work with me. All right, here we go. Because I wonder what Paul would think of if you walked into one of our modern uh, worship services today. I think there would be some concern, and I think as we go through this series, it's going to be interesting how things have shifted, maybe for better or for worse. Um, and you know, how should we go back to to things of the New Testament in the early church uh, yeah. in practice and in style, maybe or different things? So it'll be interesting exploring those questions as we go through this series, as we go through time a little bit. And there's some things that are helpful and unhelpful, but definitely I think that there's a lot of down. Asides to how we've shifted in our church mm-hmm. worship to accommodate or appeal to the common churchgoer, and I think you moved, moved away from reverend. <laughs> I think would depend. I think it would depend on what kind of church, too. Yeah, that there's already diversity there, but I do think generally, overall, there's been this shift away from reverence and to self. You know, you can see even on our worship songs, there's this like me, 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 like. God is going to have a breakthrough in my life and all that stuff. And and those are good. But then when you compare that to New Testament and early church worship, where is this more like glorification of God versus glorification of self? I mean, there is that shift a little bit, uh, which I think Paul would be concerned about if he walked into a lot of modern churches today. 
Um, First, you'd have to get rid of the shock. It's hard to say. It's hard to say (laughs) because, you know, Paul is not on earth right now. So it's like, it's really, I can't really put words in his mouth and what he would react, how he would react if he walked in church. But I do think that there are some concerns of how we've moved away from worship uh, since the, since the beginning. Yeah. The, yeah, like I said, after you'd get over the initial shock of the technology, um, the uh, I think for the most part, I think he would be happy or happy with it. But I think he would still have he'd still be pointing things out for sure, and he would still be calling certain things out. But I think he would be just be glad at the scale that worship takes place now versus then. Mm-hmm. That's, I think that definitely would be. Uh, a big thing. Yeah. So, um, last comments here. There was another one. Uh, I think the way of, uh, a new way of worshiping God is also through our actions, honoring God's name. Yes. Uh, that was a big part of the, the, especially the service part we talked about earlier in the podcast. Um, that there's different styles of, there's different, um, actions of worship, right? There's different words, even in the Greek that describe, you know, service, um, all reverence, bowing down to one's knees, uh, glorifying, singing songs, hymns. So, I mean, the New Testament, there isn't just one way to worship. There is a lot of, you know, the New Testament lays out a lot of different words and a lot of different ways of how we worship and, and glorify God with our, with, you know, our bodies and also corporately. So, um, yeah. Um, Absolutely. That seems like that's, uh, that's pretty much it. Like I said, next we'll, we're continuing in the series of Christian worship. So, um, you know, stay with us. A big thing I wanted to say too, is, um, if you're on Facebook, rate, uh, us on Facebook. So we, I think we only have one rating, but that helps us as well with traction. Um, if you, you know, rate us four or five stars or whatever that boosts algorithm, a lot. <laughs> algorithm, algorithm things. Yeah. That boosts a lot. So if you're on YouTube, subscribing is the biggest thing. Um, Liking helps, but I mean, the biggest thing is really subscribing, what we need from YouTube. And then on Facebook, um, really rating. So liking is good, but um, liking the page, but the uh, ratings on Facebook are big. And then subscribing on our YouTube, we, we need those. So, um, and if yeah. you don't already follow us, follow us on Instagram too. Uh, leave a review on um, Spotify or uh, iTunes. Are we still on iTunes? I can never remember. But, um, I know Spotify we're on for sure. So, I mean, you know, whatever you, you know, wherever you feel like <laughs> leaving, leaving a review, giving us a, a subscribe or following whatever, whatever you feel mm-hmm. led to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we would and we appreciate it. I was going to say this last comment here. Noah says, hi, hi, Noah. It's been a while. Um, he was a student of mine at, when I was a middle school teacher and it's four, that's he's taller than me now. He's taller <laughs> than me now. And uh, he could probably uh, post me up in basketball i'll have to have to get back into uh to the gym yeah i should go to an open gym one time one day especially in the summer i'll have more time try to oh, go yeah. out there and school some youngins <laughs> i've always been horrendous at basketball probably, just probably school me now yeah. my dad was I so used good to be really good it, but i used terrible. to be really good i've been i've been out of it for a little bit so I, you know now i'm probably not as good but i used to be really good did you play yeah, on things like this five stars Oh yeah, perfect. That's first. All right. Well, that ends our stream. Um, yeah. Any any final exhortation? Yeah. Just uh, thank you guys for you know one year sticking with us for a year and supporting us. 
Um, if you'd like to financially support us so we can continue going another year, um, you know, just reach out to us, let us know, and we can uh, find a way that works. Um, like you said, we with the, the way StreamYard is, we can't do it uh, through StreamYard just yet. Um, hopefully we'll get there soon. But if you would like to support us, uh, just reach out to us on our social media, um, whichever one or whichever way that uh, suits you or works best for you. And just let us know. But thank you guys again for sticking with us for a year. And hopefully we'll you know, still be going next year and the year after that. And uh, hopefully, you know, something that we say or do can help you guys out. Because uh, like I said, the money's not for us. It's not a job. We're just doing this for ministry. So uh, thank you guys again for, you know, hanging with us and for listening. And we'll see you guys next week. Yep. All right. Bye, y'all. See you guys.